0: Hey, listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA. After more than a decade of venture building, bootstrapping, scaling, and now investing in Southeast Asia, I sit down with founders, investors, and entrepreneurs who can share their hard earned lessons and stories for the benefit of the Asia ecosystem and beyond. Today, we sit down with Elena Chow, founder of Connect One, who is a highly regarded recruiter here in Southeast Asia for tech startups who are looking to grow and need talent. However, ConnectOne has grown to be more than just a recruiting shop and does consulting, coaching and insights for the talent market across Asia from China to Singapore and beyond. In this episode, we hear a bit of Elena's background and how ConnectOne was born from being a full-time mom to diving headfirst into entrepreneurship. Later on, we discover the nature of the talent labor market and the current challenges anyone hiring is facing right now, talent scarcity. We also touch upon when to hire or when to do the work yourself, hiring generalists versus specialists, raising capital for the talent market. And lastly, Elena finishes with some solid advice that all founders will benefit from with her three M's framework. If you're currently looking to hire and want to learn more about the challenges of the talent labor market here in Southeast Asia, dive in and listen. Elena, welcome to the show, how are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Happy Friday, I'm looking forward to the weekend. In fact, it's yes. going to be a long weekend because it's national day in Singapore. And oh, it's you can- national day. Yeah, if you can hear the background noise, the planes have just, just flew past my house.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, maybe explain to the global audience, what, what is National Day for Singapore?
1: Ah, uh, well, it's like, I don't know, Independence Day, maybe like the 4th of July um, for Singapore. But this okay. year, we are celebrating the 56th year. So Singapore is extremely young. Nice. Uh, and interesting because we're still in the middle of a sort of a partial lockdown. Uh, where only two can gather right at the same time, so there's going to be some, yeah, changes, and we won't have that big fanfare that we used to have um, for the past few years. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, still a public holiday. We can, and I think it's still an opportunity for families to, to gather, even if it's a small group.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let me let me give a brief introduction before we continue. So we have uh, Elena Chow, founder and CEO of Connect One. You started fa- Connect One in 2012, 2010 around that time?
1: Yes. Officially 2012.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what exactly is Connect One?
1: Um, so our mission is actually to help early stage technology startups build successful teams. Um, and what that means, it translates into, you know, three different things. Um, we help them find the right talent. And so that can be summed up as recruitment. Uh, we also help them develop great teams. So after you have found the right talent. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be done in what the traditional world will call human resource and what the new world will call people ops, you know, but we come in to help build that organization architecture. Mm. Um, And the third part true to our name, uh, which we never thought about, is because we are so entrenched in the whole startup ecosystem um, that we actually help make the right connections for startups to scale. So, I mean, we all joke that startups it takes a village to grow a startup, yeah. and um, so I think the the connections that we can help them make, whether it may be investors, it could be um, advisors, mentors, or just coaches, um, will help you know the founder go a, a longer way.
0: Yeah, that's a, a very nice summary. Because um, in my mind, I, I've I've known you for many years now, probably right, uh, and I've only known you as the recruit recruiting person, but. Uh, If you look at your whole business holistically, uh, it seems you've developed it much more, right? And I think you're you're hitting on some very important aspects and pain points, especially as this uh, region matures in Southeast Asia for the tech startups, as more valuations gets bigger, more unicorns coming in, more money, more noise as well, right? Of course, Um, I think the the talent development piece is something I've always thought about as a founder internally. It's always something you need to focus on. And I guess... um, you as an organization, you have a lot of learnings that you could also apply. And how, how how recently did you start the talent development part?
1: Yeah, interesting. Actually, it's 2017. So when we first started, you're right, Alex, we probably met in like 2015 or something Yeah. when we were still doing recruitment. Um, and and because at that time, most startups just needed warm bodies, like just find someone to like fill the seats and that's it, right? It was yeah. just too young. Um, but, you know, as we grew with the ecosystem, we realized that, with the maturity, as you rightly pointed out, there were deeper needs. And so in 2017, we actually started the consult- what we call the consulting business, the talent development business or the HR. I mean, there are so many words to describe it. But anyway, you know, uh, and I, I mean, obviously, I didn't have the skills. So I actually brought in Joanna, a, a new team member who joined us uh, with, you know, kind of 20 over years of consulting and HR operation experience.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. So with her, we were able to then, you know, sort of widen uh, the services, which I felt was more, um, you know, meaningful. Talent development doesn't begin and end with recruitment, as we know.
0: Correct. I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, and I think we can get to it later. Um, and then for the last piece, you said uh, connecting, right? Uh, is how are you thinking about that now from a business perspective, uh, yeah. especially, you know, I guess there's competition too, right? like LinkedIn is probably the best example of this. Uh, Even our our mutual friend Zhang Gan is a super connector. I I like to connect with people. I always throw people your way whenever I can, right? Um, So how do you think about that in terms of productizing and adding another segment to your business?
1: Yeah, you're right. So that part is not something that... It's not a monetization uh, vertical, if you look at it. You know, Mm. it's not something that we consciously go out, pitch and monetize on. Um, It is probably an additional service. uh, Also, you know, like building trust. Uh, and yeah. building relationship you know, more than anything yeah. else. But if we do, the only part that we actually would monetize on, if we actually help a startup um, connect to an investor and capital is raised.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, have you successfully done that yet?
1: And that has, um, not really. So, because like I said, you know, we have, we don't really pitch that part of the business. Mm. Yeah, but if we do, we do have some kind of arrangement
0: yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. Uh, like you are literally sitting at the intersect of all these concentric circles of investors, startups, and all the all these stakeholders. And um, I guess that is one way to monetize. Uh, and I, I feel where you win is kind of trust and brand, right? So a lot of these other guys, you have pure brokers in the region who do this a lot. They've either been a founder or some type of investor, but it's very monetary. And I've engaged with these kind of people before. Um, you don't really get a good feeling about it, you know. It's just like it's just a transact. It's very, you know. It's just they, they, you don't know if they're just pushing a deal or if it's really high quality. So, mm-hmm. um, you no. Know, so, like uh, one of the questions I had coming into this, you know, which, which we're kind of jumping off tracks already, but. Uh, you know, like how, how, do you grow it as a business? And it seems that, you know, over, 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 many years that, you know, you keep layering on to just serving ecosystem as it matures and develops. So it's very, uh, it's actually more, more than just purely recruitment. And I, I think, you know, recruitment gets a lot of uh, bad name in the industry. So it's, I think you've done a good job of that. Um, so we, so, uh, before we get further into connect one, uh, you, before that, you were PNG for 14 years, right? Mm. Yeah. So you were selling diapers and shampoo from 1992, 1998. Nine to two thousand six, right?
1: Yep, that's right.
0: Yeah. So the full full year of corporate, then you became a full time mom, and then somehow after you know being out of the you know labor market for so long, you decided to start Connect One, which is the recruiting business as it started and what we discussed just now. Um, what made you want to jump back into it? Like how do you how do you have like a full time family and decide you want to be a founder yourself?
1: Hmm. You know what? Uh, I often call myself an accidental entrepreneur, you know, uh, in a way. I don't, I, I'm not a planner. I don't plan my life very much. Mm. Uh, but when I first started in PNG, within the first three months, you know, I mean, with large corporates, right, you get a barrage of training, you know, like off the mm. bat, you know, the minute you run off. And um, in one of those trainings, uh, which is called Managing Personal Growth, it talks about what your vision for your life is, what are some of your drivers, and it goes really deep, right? And at that point in time i told myself that i will be an entrepreneur
0: Um, (laughs) what what was that
1: yeah so i i I can't remember exactly what went through that whole week you know of uh, training but it obviously you know allowed us to reflect and you know those days as a fresh grad we don't think too much about life you know we just hop on the next fortune 500 company and you know we're set and so i i told myself that i wanted to be an entrepreneur because i guess i have this um innate like interest to build stuff and it's it's reflected in my entire life um, so when i told my parents this they basically almost threw me out of the house uh, because um, they had sacrificed a lot to send yeah. me to singapore because uh, i'm malaysian uh, you know i grew up in malaysia and i came oh, to singapore
0: oh, i know
1: not many people know that but so I, I came to singapore on a scholarship and my parents had to borrow money you know to uh, to supplement the scholarship um you know like subsidy you know yeah. and things like that so um so they almost threw me out of the window right <laughs> and um so i said yeah okay maybe you know it's it's foolish dreams right too young uh but so anyway that was then and so when i took a career break uh and that was i was well in a way well i would say a very conscious choice because i was pregnant with number four uh my oh, father Uh, And uh, I had three kids who were constantly calling me during meetings in P&G. My phone would be ringing nonstop, And I told myself, "Okay, I think I need to take a break. And I think during that break, uh, it's when that the entire building stuff and creating stuff is often always in me, right? So while I was creating babies and uh, developing them, at the same time, um, I was also very passionate about uh, uh, growth, like um, growth in people, not myself. And uh, so I got involved, uh, very involved in my son's um, sort of like parent support group in school because I believe that there were some things that I could do that could help them to instill certain values, right, uh, in them. And that's when I met someone from the NUS Startup Incubation Program. Um, He's he's not an old friend of any sorts. We met as a fellow parent. He had just joined NUS uh, and NUS, had a startup incubation program going and they were developing it. In the past, it was only NOC, the, N- uh, the NUS Overseas College, which was actually the foundation for many of our top entrepreneurs today, including the car- including Carousel, PetSnap and all the guys. Yeah, um, yeah So that's kind of how I got into the whole startup uh, incubation, I mean the whole startup ecosystem because I was completely bowled over by the courage and dreams of this young Uh, students right i mean i could never imagine myself 10 years ago being that where they uh, because it was just not available so anyway
0: that was that was back in 2010 so this is like way before the boom uh this is like the very beginning of of the journey of the whole startup uh, before even rock came in to southeast asia so uh, and and the, this was like the right timing, I and mean, back then probably just probably didn't make any sense at all. Right? It's like why would you do startups? People probably thought you were crazy, right?
1: Alex, you know what? You I, I, did I did I knew you did I know you from then because I, that word is exactly what <laughs> people called people coined me. So crazy was the word, um, yeah. and so I got a lot of this kind of like you know negative, uh, you know like uh, comments all around. But for me, I don't know. Maybe I rely on my gut a lot. But I felt that this was the future for Singapore. You know, yeah. Singapore for years had relied on corporate investment, yeah. like and we, um, product of the Singapore education system, had only one path. You know, which was join a Fortune 500 company and <sighs> for life. Correct. And I saw that these guys yeah. were going to be the next generation. Um, yeah. and so I invested in them right in a way because mm. I didn't have money I obviously wasn't tagged uh, but I was passionate about building teams having spent so many years in corporate Yeah, and so I invested so-called right in them and for 18 months there was nothing
0: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, living on potatoes maybe less I,
0: I can't even imagine if, if you had a little bit of money back then imagine if you were an angel investor I think you'd be sitting in a nice uh, a nest by, by now probably right <laughs>
1: Well, you know what, talking about angel investors, um, as I was reflecting, uh, it wasn't in, a true angel investor, but one of my friends uh, and former colleague, and I still call him an angel, right? in during my my period there, then, was because he was working for a large Korean uh, conglomerate and he needed some help with recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it wasn't my, my focus, but well, I had some connections, right? Mm-hmm. And I helped him. And that amount that I earned from that recruitment was my angel, my, was my seat in heaven. Ah, nice. it It helped me, it tied me, right, for 18 months.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. So, so it ended up working out, you know, you got your first amount of money to to start your own business and be an entrepreneur yourself.
1: Without having to give away any equity. equity.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I mean, that's the way that everyone should be doing it, right? <laughs> um, there also has to be an overlap from your transition from being a full-time mom, raising children to what you do now, right? Is, is there any skills as a parent, a mother that really directly connects what you do today? It has to be, right?
1: Never thought never thought about it, um, but you know what? Maybe unrelated, but the fact that I have um, four kids, uh, and yes. a stable family and a supportive husband is probably the anchor that I needed, you mm-hmm. know, to go into entrepreneurship. because yeah. uh, if I had become an entrepreneur when I was raising the kids uh, or even before that, I don't think I could f- have been able to focus yeah. and had the mind space, right um, to mm-hmm. do to do what I'm doing because it's a lot of effort.
0: yeah
1: like I mean, it's probably too much to go into what are some of the skill sets or experience being a mother that can me in <laughs> my business now. But I'll
0: yeah.
1: think of it as it's the anchor that I needed, right? The stability um, that I needed, you know, to do what I'm doing now.
0: So so would you say that uh, you wouldn't recommend young parents to probably start entrepreneurship then?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that because everybody has a different path in life. Yeah. My philosophy is there is a season for everything, like. Fair, fair enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so t- tell us about some of your clients or some of the people you serve that people would recognize uh, in the region.
1: Um. Well, I mean, I think it's quite clear that uh, series A and B startups or pre-series A to B startups is kind of where uh, our focus is. Okay. Um, so when I first started, our first uh, client was a taxi app uh, company, and so Alex, you'd be very interested because I don't know whether you know this story, but I guess during that time, taxi apps were the biggest thing, right? So, Correct. Yeah. Um, it was your Easy Taxi versus uh, versus Uber versus Grab. My Taxi and Grab Taxi and all the rest. So that was our first um, client. Uh, unfortunately, they they made some wrong moves, and so they had to shut. So they're called yeah. Halo, if you
0: remember it. Halo, of course, okay. yeah. That, that yeah. Was, they were they had a lot of funding in other parts of the world, and they tried to enter Singapore.
1: Yeah, and then um, the execution in North America didn't go according to plan.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so they burned through a lot of their Series B funding, which was huge. Yeah. And so it was uh, a company that you know we, we started working with. It was a very our very first startup, nice. you know. But while it exited and died, I think the relationships that I built. Uh, with the candidates that we were trying to hire for them and the final candidate uh, was actually some of the fundamentals that, you know, the the relationships have uh, lasted till now. Um, And then thereafter, uh, probably our biggest client at that time um, uh, was Honest B. And I think that's also kind of when I met you, Alex. And so while Honest B had its glory days uh, and had fallen, you know, in Mm -hmm. the last uh, two years, uh, but it it was a very significant milestone for us because yeah. it was the first time we were able to work uh, with a startup from almost from zero, you yeah. know, to almost Sorry. a thousand. Yeah, across Southeast Asia, um, hiring for them was uh, really an eye opening. Yeah. Uh, it it connected me to uh, talent across the region, um, and uh, and it's definitely one of the biggest stepping stones you know, in, in the success of where Connect One today. Nice. Yeah, so till, I mean, fast forward today, we have worked with uh, more than 100 startups. Um, it would be too much to name uh, who they are and, you know, I mean, they're all on our website. I, I, I don't want to start naming because then I will... Name drop. <laughs> yeah, uh, name drop is one. Uh, I'll end up um, being called by someone else, why didn't you name me? Why didn't you <laughs> name me? So like Academy Awards,
0: yeah. Well, um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for you in that I think you probably personally know some of the most prolific founders or brand names that people know in a region. I'm sure I know you've worked with a lot, like you said. So I guess people are interested, they could go directly to your website and see themselves. But uh, you, you are very situated from from work, being in Singapore helped a lot, I think, you know where a lot of investment ends up landing. But also, like you said, you're, you're starting out with even like Bonas B, um, even though you know, they're very quiet now these days. Uh, are they still around?
1: They're gone. Completely. Oh, wow. Completely. Excellent. Um, okay. Yeah. And strangely, one of my team members asked, Oh, should we remove Honest be from our list <laughs> of oh, okay. uh, startups, right? Yeah. And, and and to me, no.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with you. I agree with you.
1: Every failure is a step forward, right? And Correct. even if it's a failure on our part to work with and a startup that didn't make it,
0: yeah.
1: it, it doesn't mean that it failed. In fact, it was a big success for us in establishing our business, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of them.
1: Yeah, a lot of learnings, a lot of relationships, um, so much to share from that whole period of working with the, the guys there.
0: Uh, would you be willing to name uh, a very good client that you enjoyed working with?
1: <laughs> Do I need to name names?
0: It's up to you, I mean, it's, I, I understand your position, so uh, you know, I'm doing my job, I wanna probe you a bit.
1: Yeah, so I think the best partners for us, um, uh, number one, are like uh, super coachable founders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, am so, not gonna. Yeah, I, I, I don't really want to name anyone because I think no. I will end up, you know, being biased or not, <laughs> not forgetting someone else, right? But if I can, if, uh, describing the attributes help, I'm happy to do so. Yes. I'm not sure yeah. whether Alex, that's um, yeah.
0: It's, I mean, that was really my next question. Like, I, I, figured you might not name names, so, but so someone who's super coachable, anything else?
1: Yeah. So. I think coachable founders are great, you know, founders that are um, uh, invested in the relationship with us, you know, mm-hmm. so because hiring is um, not a transactional relationship, you know, or even I mean, we begin with hiring, don't talk about the whole uh, the other parts of the HR consulting, but just mm-hmm. hiring. So um, being vested in a relationship with us uh, is, is, uh, is super important. So don't treat us as just a channel like a lead generator. Yeah. Uh, That's
0: interesting.
1: Okay. treat us as a partner. So yeah. I tell them sometimes, I don't care how many head hunters or recruiters you work with, but everyone that you work with, um, you need to invest time um, okay. to partner with them. Or else, you know, it the the fruits will not be there.
0: So so I'm guessing a, a bad type of client and people you don't want to work with are the people who are treating it very transactionally and people who are using you as a channel, which I mean, I, I don't, you know, from a logical perspective, I don't think that's wrong, but I think it's how you execute it. So I'm guessing what they're—it's just they, they're probably very rude about it, or they're expecting a certain performance. They they push you a certain way. They don't understand the nuance of it. Is that how it is?
1: It's not about pushing, you know, because pushing is it's okay, right? Because we yeah. need to be aggressive and you know we need yeah. to get fast, right? So Correct. that we don't have time to waste uh, with startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about the and so how I would describe the partnership is really like the the calibration like for example if it's on recruitment you know we uh, it's an iteration it's an iterative process you yeah. know we have we start at the at the beginning with you know maybe different buckets and the buckets get narrower and narrower and narrower so that whole iterative process is almost like think of it as a sprint right you need to have stand ups, you need to have discussions yeah. you need to have uh, and if you we don't have that you you know you 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 won't achieve the success. Um, your features won't be the best features for your users you know things like that yes. so it's it's that process and yeah. if that is missing because you don't have the time or you're dealing with too many partners or uh, you don't know what you're looking for you know that is a recipe for failure
0: so I think to concisely put it you're looking for someone who's willing to invest into a quality relationship where it becomes mutually beneficial and a win-win right so
1: it has to be because it's a consulting relationship, right? It's not yeah. a trans- relationship. Yeah. Um, so, and we practice strategic quitting if we need to. Uh, what strategic I call strategic should... quitting. Oh, okay,
0: so if the client doesn't work out.
1: Yeah, I mean, then you know we have to make a call. Yeah.
0: Hmm. How does that work? You gotta. You can't just say that and not explain the process a little bit.
1: <laughs> I think that's a bit sensitive for me to talk about uh, here, you know. But I mean, on, on how we do it, but obviously, I think. Our yardstick is really, um, it doesn't matter how, how challenging the role is because we have got the most difficult um, uh, briefs, right? We've got some mm-hmm. of the more challenging roles. I mean, everybody wants to raise their bar and hire an A talent. Who doesn't want to? Of course, of course. And I would strongly suggest that we do. And so it's not about the difficulty of finding the talent or how high the bar is, uh, it's about whether you are you know, willing to uh, work with us and accept some of the advice that we give, right? And be realistic yeah. and coachable about, you know, um, what next?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a give and take situation, just like any relationship. And it has to work from both sides, two-way street. Um, so let's, let's move on to the talent market in Southeast Asia. So I think you've had a long history and, and you've seen the highs and the lows. Um, do, do you serve beyond Southeast Asia or just mostly Southeast Asia?
1: so southeast asia and hong kong would be our core okay. markets um in the midst of the pandemic last year you know we picked up a project uh, in china mm-hmm. um it's not our core market mm-hmm. but it was uh i mean we were pretty successful delivering that project uh yeah. and um yeah but it's it's not something that we will probably say yeah we are you know we have a strength in so southeast asia and hong kong is probably where our strength
0: is would you be keen to keep Moving into the Chinese market as well, or is
1: just—it's um, a completely different market. Yeah. So where our strength is in the China market would be foreigners who are in China. Okay. So they could be foreign Chinese. So uh, the di- the China di- the Chinese diaspora—they have come back to China, or they could be pure foreigners. Uh, although the Chinese diaspora is probably the the, the the bucket that we have the strongest connections with.
0: yeah, And I think that kind of makes more sense from my understanding of how the, the tech scene is evolving in China is that there's a stronger preference to just being more local, I guess, talent-wise. And I think it is harder as a foreigner to probably fit in, right?
1: Yep. I mean, if you've stayed in China for a while, um, probably, and you know, you're doing what the Chinese are doing because it's a very inclusive market, right? Yeah. With their own tools, their own, social, um, mm-hmm. their own social media channels and everything else. It's quite difficult for a person that's using Instagram to now go use Xiaohongshu, you know, mm. and understand yeah. how it works. Yeah.
0: True, that makes sense. Uh, so why don't you tell us about the nature of the talent market for Southeast Asia? How, how would you describe it?
1: Hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll describe it in a few ways. Uh, maybe let's talk about um, what are some of the challenges that you know we are facing right now, right? So yeah. we did, um, you know, we did a dipstick uh, report, uh, kind of analysis uh, recently. We started during the pandemic, and we've run it like you know three times now till the first half of this so first quarter of this year, uh, and we found that actually the biggest uh, delta. You know, between when the pandemic started and now, are three buckets of uh, jobs. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the three buckets are number one. I think we all know it. You know, sort of product slash tech, right? That's the yeah. biggest delta. Of
0: course. Um,
1: and the second biggest delta is actually sales. Interesting. And marketing. Yeah, interesting. The third biggest delta is actually finance. So why so? We're trying to put the whole story together. So product and tech is very clear. Um the yeah, whole the world world. Went, Yeah, the whole world went digital, right? You know, yeah. um, not not just startups or tech companies, the banks and insurance companies and everyone else went digital. So everyone was fighting for uh, tech talent uh, and and product. And uh, interestingly, is the sales right because companies are now trying to get ahead of each other uh, mm-hmm. in pitching their software to customers yeah. and. So there is a sudden need for salespeople who are hunters and uh, can connect, understand software sales, you know, and which is what tech startups are doing, right? I mean, basically. So suddenly you see a dearth of that as well. And finance, probably because of what happened during the pandemic, um, there was a lot more scrutiny uh, on your fundamentals, on your finance fundamentals, Mm -hmm. on cash, on controls, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, on treasury. And so that's where finance people are suddenly in demand, you know, to ensure that that's sustainable growth of the staff. Yeah. So we saw that as a, um, so we already felt it, you know, because of the kind of, uh, roles that we were doing, uh, and challenges that our clients were facing. But I think doing that analysis really helped to, you know, concretize, uh, yeah. put some data behind the, the gut that, uh, that we were feeling.
0: You know, I I think you know that's really great because I, I don't come across this data too often. Like, you guys should maybe find a way to make an index. Oh, sorts. it
1: is. Um, we the, the report is available publicly. Yeah. Um, and we share it with. I mean, obviously, it's not something that we're selling or whatever, right? So yeah. we basically use it um, uh, on for thought leadership uh, mm. to advise our clients and also to put some realism, you know. Yeah. In the expectation of the ecosystem. I use it a lot when I teach uh, at uh, incubators and accelerators. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a report format is great. And I think people will always want to consume reports. But uh, if, if you could point to like a, a living artifact, like an index that tells you the exact, you know, what's happening for certain segments, uh, and people have a better kind of understanding that it also makes you a thought leader in that field, might be something interesting to think about, I guess. But because, uh, you know, I've I think intuitively as a founder when i've been hiring you just feel it when you try to do the hiring yeah that you don't you don't get a sense of this macro picture and how you could actually formulate a strategy or think about it in terms of process to make it more efficient right so
1: yeah, it's you, it's, you guys come right. kind of,
0: close kind of close the other end of it which is really cool
1: yeah you're right so i mean knowing knowing what's happening in the market doesn't mean that's the end all you know yeah. so then it then you think about what kind of creative strategies because if you go bang against the wall um, to hire for, you know, like experience, for example, and you're not willing to hire for potential. So there's a difference between hiring for experience and hiring for potential. Yeah,
0: correct.
1: Yeah, so I think with startups, we often um, suggest that you look at hiring for potential, especially for roles which is in demand. So it costs yeah. you more, you can't find the right individual uh, or retention is at risk,
0: you yeah. know,
1: and how do you then... Prepare yourself to hire for potential,
0: and that also depends on the stage. And and because typically you said you deal with around Series A, Series B, pre-Series A, Um, is is that so? Your your choice of focusing on potential versus experience is that because the nature of the market that it's just there's talent scarce and uh, there's a lot of hidden gems that need to be probably developed. Uh, Because on the flip side, you know, I've I've interviewed with unicorns and talked to all sorts of people from, you know, billionaire founders and lots of times in later stage it's, it's heavily on experience and they, they, don't, they don't want to contextualize and understand you as a person and it's either you have certain brand names and certain feeling or you have certain key buzzwords yeah. uh, but, you know, it's, so I, I think, you know, is it how you think about it in terms of early stage versus late stage is that is how the market's structured?
1: Yeah, you're right. So, um, if you look at the life cycle of a startup, you know, in the early days, you hire a bunch of you know, generalists could work. Yes, and correct. you know. Yeah. But as a as startup develops, usually post Series C, you'd be you'd be needing the experience of specialists, whether they're industry specialists or mm-hmm. they are skilled specialists. Yeah. You know, so in the early days and because I'm talking more about the early um, you know the growing hyper growth startups, uh, where you can where you need to have generalists. But at the same time even if you hire for generalist, you have to start, they start specializing in certain areas.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, so, um, but yes, at the later stage where you can't afford to, you know, bring in someone to learn unless you have a very structured system that can turbocharge this person's learning. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to hire for experience. So I think that's a a life cycle stage. Um,
0: Yeah, you you bring up some really good points. Um, So you would need to kind of, internal infrastructure knowledge culture if you want to hire on potential for late stage uh, but you know given because there is a scarcity in southeast asia especially kind of these buckets you talked about should these late stage companies be more open because i've talked to recruiters as well where they approach me for things that just usually don't make sense for me and then of course when i go to interview i just will flop it because I, one i don't prepare for very specifically for a certain kind of thing uh or a certain kind of role let's see like you said you know they're looking for experience uh, but like it should should late stage be more open philosophically or you you think they should just wait and take longer to hire or do they yeah. just start looking across borders
1: so it, it, it depends on the so i typically have, have it in a four by four chart so it depends on the mm-hmm. urgency of the role and the mm-hmm. internal talent availability yeah. right so it's kind of like <laughs> yeah so if the if the role is urgent and internal um talent capability is low right then you would have to hire for experience no choice mm-hmm. because you need a person to come in and plug and play
0: yeah.
1: um, but if it is less urgent but you know your internal talent capabilities, yeah. so then you would want to hire for, you want to start building for the future. Yeah. You know, so this is actually just um, talent management, is manpower yeah, planning. Yeah, yeah. And if the startup or whatever company has a well thought through so-called in corporate terms manpower planning, they would have strategies for all these different things. Because yeah. if you end up knee jerk what will happen is that you end up paying a lot. Yeah,
0: it's very costly. Yeah.
1: Yes, it's very costly, right? Because you need to get that person in, you have no other, that, that there's no option B, mm-hmm. um, and you end up paying whatever that person asked for, right? So,
0: well, yeah. Also, t- time is the worst one. I mean, typically, if, if the company can afford it, it's. I mean, it depends. Early stage runway is really critical, so you kind of don't want to mess it up, especially if you're trying to pay a premium for talent. But you know, if you're a more mature company, it, I think the time is the painful thing. Like you know, yeah, putting yeah. your company, your jobs, like two, three months, sometimes six months onboarding them, is a few months, then you know, getting used to culture, and then you know, if you're trying to figure out it's not working, they're not driving performance. Man, that's just like puts you far behind, especially in a very competitive environment, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, m- many times I, you know some of the advice that I give to early stage uh, or, or, you know, like tech startups in general is that, um, you know, treat uh, hiring, uh, which is actually acquiring human capital, the same yeah. way you treat um, acquiring venture capital. So, right. I mean, we all know that you have to like start, um, uh, actually start dating your investors a year before your plan, you know, whatever it is, Series A or Series B, you know, a year. Uh, And you start by, you know, sending them um, messages, engaging them, talking them, pitching to them. And that whole dating process should be applied to human capital as well. Because in fact, human capital is now more scarce than venture capital. I mean, this first half of the year is record venture capital globally, right? Yeah. And uh, at the same time, it's record, you know, like... uh, so-called dearth of talent, right? I don't have the yeah. papers, you know, per se, but for the tech industry, we're just it, it, we're just not able to find ta- the right talent, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you just look at those statistics, you know, um, it is it is just wise to begin the whole um, talent acquisition process earlier. Yeah. It But it often happens to be an afterthought, right? Because you, yeah. you want to get the money in first, you know?
0: I, I love what you're saying because as a founder who's been doing this for like more than 10 years now at this point, you've basically described everything that I like all the knowledge I've acquired about recruiting and talent development and HR practices from a different angle right and i think that kind of is what, make, what makes you as a more powerful recruiter because you are actually a founder who understands the same kind of concepts and, and you're totally right like right? so like people just don't think about like one, the way i kind of think about it and i think rocket really did a, early, early rocket internet did a really good job of training me on this was that um like a founder like especially early stage growth, they spend 30 40 percent of the time on recruiting. Like, and you always build a pipeline even if you don't need it because yes. you don't know when that kind of like inflection point happens and maintaining relationships is really, really important. and um, what's tied to that fundamentally is under having a strong clarity and understanding of internal factors and external factors right and, and the, the internal factors are things like you know you have to know what like, problem you're solving. You yep. need to have know what's mission critical and what kind of metrics are around that. And you and you know tied to that then is once you know what you're doing, is like you have to understand the culture and the principles yep. and what are the boundaries you have, right? And yep. then you have to do the job yourself at early stage. If you don't do the job, you can't really hire for it either, right? A lot of times, yeah. people kind of mess up the internal factors and the external factors. and, you know, knowing the macro environment, knowing the labor market, knowing the market rate. What's what are the candidate desires? Yeah. Um, what are the competing offers? You know, what are what, what motivates them internally, right? And so, like, I think where people fail is like, you know, it's these really concentric circles that are moving and dynamic. And yeah, oftentimes both sides don't even know sometimes, and that's why you don't you know, work out, right? Um, yeah, so actually, it's really hard to manage all this.
1: Yeah, it's you know what actually, Alex, it's not so difficult. Um, Oh, yeah. It's just, it is, it's not so difficult. Let me tell you a trick, right? So, I was talking to a founder, um, you know, like Series B founder, uh, recently, and he was telling us that he dates two people every week. Dates. Okay. As in what what, what on
0: a date, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, these two individuals are probably potential employees. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. So, he got. like this. He's got an intern. He's got an intern that will scour the the LinkedIn, you know, to find him two people to talk to without any agenda.
0: Oh, okay. I see what you mean.
1: Yeah. So you know, it's it's not. But you you just need to know. It's it's more strategy, right? Do you know what you don't know? Because, kind of like Superman versus Clark Kent, right? So no. the Clark Kent has to go do the work. But Superman has to look at, okay, you know, what's going to change the world, right? Uh, what are yeah. some of the strategies that I need to put in place? So if you have a Superman mentality, then you think, okay, I just need to do this. I need to fill the funnel, the top of the funnel. And that's an easy way to do it. I And all I need to spend is two or three hours of my time every week. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't have if you, if you don't know it, then it will never get done, right? Until it's knee job, and when you need to hire because the, the investment is in. Yeah,
0: correct. And, and when say when you have that kind of windfall, if you haven't done the homework, man, it it you create a lot of friction, a lot of mess, a lot of pain, uh, and then that's why a lot of people come to situations they have a lot, they lose a lot of respect for people who just don't have their, their shit together, right? Um, but I think you bring up a good point. You know, I, I think what you describe is exactly what I've done, what you've done. Every time I come to Singapore and I haven't seen you in a while, I got to get a coffee, right? So, um, and I think some of the best connectors and the best people who just have good relationships and good networks you know, it's no agenda, meeting people, building relationships. Right. And I think that's the, 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 so whenever it just happens, you know, you just can ask to get people and you know, if you have a good relationship, it works out. Usually, right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. But, but with, with that in mind, then with the scarcity and say, if I'm a, a founder going into the market now today, <clears throat> should I be raising a lot more money in order to get the best talent to be competitive? Right. Because I've recently invested in the company and um, I I kind of scratching my head if they should have raised more money because initially the founder is looking at hiring at local rates, but I'm looking at um, the the big leverage multiplier we get at a very, you know, very high level of talent. But the thing is for people to come here, you know, if equity is getting more, I guess, common for compensation, I guess but it's still not like something that's like Silicon Valley level, like, oh, you know, uh, decent salary plus equity, you know, it's, it's still people want more money, right? Yeah. So if you ask me to join now, if I don't want to do the job, you're going to have to pay me money, right? But, so that's, you don't have the money, right? So should people just be raised more money then because of the scarcity problem?
1: Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a possible answer, uh, but we don't want to use money as a plug, you know, mm-hmm. for effort. So I do, I, I do feel that um, there are certain hacks, there are certain strategies that can attract the right talent, the, the right A talent that you have to put in place uh, mm. that will that you because if you don't have strategy, then you use money, it's as simple as that, right?
0: Correct. But if
1: you need a combination. So put some strategies in place, meaning like understand the funnel uh, and attract and engage at every stage of the funnel, uh, early. Mm-hmm. So there are some strategies and do the planning as well, right? Um, so some of these things you have to, you have to tick off the box. Yeah. You know, for example, um, and after you have done all that, then you look at compensation, you know, because if you're using compensation to solve the problem, um, then it's a very expensive way to solve it. Yeah. So for example, um, like as a founder, are you, have you got your value proposition for employees set up, right? Do you have your pitch deck for employees? Do you know who you're going to hire? Are you clear about how this um, this, this, this talent pool or that you're going to hire is going to deliver the results and milestones that you have set up or you have committed to your investors? You know, have you got all that planning done? Uh, and once you've got all that planning done and you're ready with all the tools, right? Then compensation comes in uh, as well. But if you are using just compensation without doing all this um, planning prior, then it's a very expensive way and it's not a sustainable way.
0: Yeah, so, okay, so say you assume you do the homework, it, you know, does you think it still makes sense? You know, say you have the infrastructure, you do the work, you do the internal understanding, you have the clarity. Should you be raising more money in this kind of case then?
1: For um, engineering, yes
0: for engineering. Okay.
1: Yeah. So for yeah. all the other roles, um, that are not so critical, uh, that we're still able to,
0: there's a you know, there's a range of you could probably work with.
1: Yeah. But for engineering talent, uh, I've actually changed my mind a little bit, right? <laughs> I used to, yeah. I used to think that, oh, you know, founders just arm yourself, you know, you are a David versus a Goliath, right? Arm yourself with your slingshot of your mission, yeah. you know, of what you're trying to do, what you're, you know, what what, in the, what, what are you going to change in this world and go sell your heart out, right? You mm-hmm. know, to your top engineering leaders. But I've actually changed my mind in the last six months because the circumstances are just uh, beyond, you mm-hmm. know, uh, what the mission can solve.
0: It, so you're saying uh, historically, early days, you probably could sell a vision and that would work out and there's enough talent to kind of fill it. And yeah. but now it just doesn't make sense.
1: For, for especially for engineering. You know, engineering. you've got to be able to... So I think there is... Your mission will plug a certain gap. So for awesome. example, that person is, you know, obviously worth X amount out there. Your yeah. mission... And so the equity that's tied to your mission mm-hmm. uh, will be able to reduce mm-hmm. uh, the, the cost, right? You know, mm-hmm. versus what their market value is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it used to be able to plug a much bigger gap. But for now, I think engineering leaders out there are realistic, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: This is my they're mark. They're also very in demand.
1: Yeah, they're very in demand and costs have gone up by 25%. Salary costs of engineering engineers and top engineering leaders have gone up by 25% since the pandemic. Yeah, um, I,
0: I agree with you in that, like, and I think just engineers in general, they're a different breed. And also engineering is very black or white. You either can solve it. Of course, there's creative ways to hack and this kind of stuff. But, but in general, it's like operations. You either can do it or you can't. Uh, there's very scarce of good talent engineers in the region so um, I would probably say yeah You know, I would put a premium on, on you know if you're thinking about anything that's tech related and you need software engineers or, or any type of engineering I'd probably raise more money specifically for that but yeah maybe you're right you know, the business guys there's more more demand more potential early stage if you set it up right you could go for potential and, and then it kind of makes sense yeah.
1: yeah yeah that's true but I think the the VCs um um philosophy on this is you know it's not homogeneous like there are some VCs who go yeah. yes you know um, pay more for your top engineers there are some VCs who would go uh, fight harder fight harder <laughs> you know um, so it I think it's just uh, it's, it's just how fast the, the market has changed Yeah, I'm mean, trying to come to grasp what's the right way
0: I, mean, I like that insight because there are two points um, with the amount of technology that's been unleashed from Silicon Valley globally, you know no code is kind of feasible if you're not doing something like deep tech. So I can kind of understand the camp where people say, you know, just, you know, you could sell it probably, but um, at the same time, you know, if you're doing something very technical, very heavy, even, okay, even if it's not te- technically hard, but it's big and complex, you still kind of need the firepower. So sometimes it just makes more sense to just pay a little bit more money and you get more leverage from you know, you would kind of want to be that tech company has like a thousand engineers, but you're serving, you know, billions of customers, right? So it's kind of sometimes just makes sense. Um, but I, I know some people who are just very much up the philosophy of like, you know, give more equity to the tech guys because they can do what you can't do. You know, there's, it's just more magic and just they have more leverage. So there's a bigger premium. So there's so, all sorts of thoughts around this. But I guess what you're saying in the market, you kind of see all, you know, all, all variations of this. And I think each one probably has two degrees of success too, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah. You're
0: right. Um, So if you're a founder, all this kind of sounds like a lot of work. Um, You obviously have to do the work first. At what point does it make sense to start hiring a talent development person or an HR person to help offload? And what what, what do you keep and what do you offload then? And what what, what does that kind of look like?
1: Mm. Um, For a founder? Well, I think in the early days, of course, you know, the, the, the founders do the work themselves. Uh, but as you start scaling, you know, as you uh, and, and as, as the team grows, you probably need to first hire a talent acquisition. So I think the first person in HR that you would have to hire is like a like a recruiter, right? Mm-hmm. Like a talent acquisition um, mm-hmm. specialist, because it's not just for the short term, but you're also investing. Remember, I talked about the pipeline and, you know, mm-hmm um all that right so that that recruiter needs to be able to plan for the future you yeah. know in terms of talent pipeline because uh if you were to you know you need to double your team size and you were to hire a head hunter or a third-party agency it's going to cost you an arm and a leg you right. know yeah so put in place um a good talent acquisition person you know in the beginning however at the same time don't forget you know some of the other hr considerations like the HR, the people architecture that you've got to put in place yeah. um, to ensure that you've got a foundation to scale. So it can be done by the talent acquisition person if they have the knowledge or if they have mm-hmm. the ability to learn. Uh, or you could, which is kind of some, sometimes what we do is to parachute ourselves in for three to six months yeah. uh, and we audit and diagnose mm-hmm. and come up with you know certain um, you know simple stuff right that you can put yeah. in place. Yeah, so you don't need to hire a, like a, you know, a, a very experienced HR person when you're, you've only got 10 men in your team. What's the yeah. point? You're, or 20 men in your team, right? Yeah. But you could actually leverage on fractional uh, skill and skills. Yeah.
0: Essentially what you're saying is uh, another solution is to kind of engage Connect One as a talent, as a platform kind of solution, right? Uh, you, you could be that first recruiter and help build it out and understanding. Um, and I guess that's what you've kind of been serving,
1: yeah, that's right. So we have this um, interim for interim head of HR um, arrangement with some of our yeah. founders. So where we are uh, there for about three to six months, and uh, you know, basically auditing the current uh, architecture, what we call the HR architecture, the processes, and then maybe suggesting some simple interventions that's needed, you know, to just set the foundation uh, as they scale. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, we would also then maybe hire uh, a HR operations manager for them, Um, hopefully during the same time so we can train them. And then they take what we have put in place uh, and, you know, bring it to the next level, you know, as the company skills.
0: Okay, so I guess for for my, my last question then before we plug anything is, uh, I kind of want to give you a business case um, and see what, see how you would think about it, how you would consult it. Right. So when I was launching Zalora Taiwan, uh, the founders you know, we were working like three, four a.m. every day. It was crazy. Like, uh, and the founders were always fighting. Uh, so they had this fight about HR. Right. So the question was: Should the small core team work really hard to launch first, and like you know, we just do the work ourselves, you work extra harder, or should they have spent a short amount of time focusing on intensely recruiting to scale it out? Um, how, how would you kind of think about that as a, a business case
1: sorry no I, I, I don't get it what do you mean like um, so the small core team does everything is that what you're saying yeah we, need, team.
0: yeah we need to launch the business and uh, we need to scale it up eventually right very soon so yeah. sh- should you spend most of your time recruiting or just should you spend most of your time building
1: mm. so I guess it depends on you know I guess it depends on um, what are the skills needed right you know, to launch. So you look at okay, a skill and capacity actually. So do you have the uh, the capacity? Um, so my my colleague calls it uh, able, willing, and allowed. Right. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. So is that core team able um, to do it? To do all that they have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so do they have the right skills to launch in Taiwan? So for example, if you need a local someone to. You know, with local understanding to do so and none of it is in your team then you would have to recruit
0: yes. so
1: it's not so much about you know do I recruit or do I not but it's like looking at yourself and kind of assessing whether you have the skills to do so um, and then secondly do you have the capacity to do so so maybe if the five of you are working 24 hours then obviously you don't have the capacity to do so right yes. then you have to hire so I will make a do a little assessment um, be, instead, uh, before deciding whether to hire, who to hire or not to hire. Yeah. Kind of how I'll look at it. But of course it takes a bit of time to step back, right? Yeah. And to look. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, of course it's easier said than done when you have like, you know, when you're flying a plane and the engine is failing at the same time.
0: Yeah, true. Okay, I mean, that's a pretty good insight. Um, you know, because when you're in the thick of it, sometimes you have tunnel vision and people are stuck on their own ideas. Uh, but But I think you're kind of right. You have to kind of take a step back, assess the situation. Um, you know, what is your you know have clarity on what that goal is and kind of see what gets you there faster whether it be you know recruiting or whether it would have been probably just yeah. doing the work yourself yeah, like
1: yeah 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 because I, I think we are, if you're launching in, an, in in another market for for example for that specific example yeah. uh, if local local knowledge is important local nuances is yeah. important then you know for sure you might need to hire someone to complement the international team the international launch team that's there yeah, correct. yeah. yeah. Um, so I would I will look at it a bit. The problem, like you said, is that you know, we, we're so in the thick of things that planning is something that is an extraordinary amount of effort, right, that's needed, yeah.
0: Okay, I think, so is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Anything you want to maybe say or comment on?
1: Um, not really, but maybe if, if it's an um, early stage startup founder that's listening in uh, today, you know, I often talk about uh, three things to look out for, you know, when we are hiring um, for your team, Uh, I call it the three M's. And I think this has worked very well with uh, the founders that I advise, right? We look for motivation. uh, We look for mastery. And we look for mindset, you know, so the I guess the motivation is super important. Like, why are you joining us? Like really Mm. dig deep, right? Um, Why are you leaving x bank to join us? What do your family have to say about it, like, you know, really plug into the drivers. Um, The second part on mastery is of course the skills that's needed, you know, uh, is it complimentary? Is it uh, what the company needs at that time? And the third part is always the the mindset, you know, do you have the right mindset to join us? You know, whether it is being comfortable with ambiguity, being flexible, uh, being risk taking, working hard, you know, what are those things? So, those are the three things I would look out for when I'm building my early startup team.
0: Perfect, very, very wise words. And if people want to engage you or learn more about what you're saying, uh, how can how can they find you?
1: Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so Elena Chow, you should be able to find yeah. me.
0: Elena Chow and Connect One.
1: Oh, at Connect One. Uh, I mean, the world is so connected these days. I don't think there's any there's any chance that we will be able to not find anyone.
0: <laughs> yes, that's very true. Okay, yeah. so the think is a great place to end it. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yep,
0: thanks, Alex. Okay, bye. Hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed Elena's episode. If you learned something new, please share this with your friends and family who would benefit and give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. So, what did we learn today? Connect One's birth was a classic story of finding opportunity and failure through growth and learning. Even though we may not remember Halo or Honest Bee, the learnings and the network created cemented the foundation for Connect One's growth. Also, I realized it doesn't matter what age you begin an entrepreneurial journey. As long as you can find a way to feel stabilized, any age is possible to begin. That can come in the form of family or friends or your own ability to save and be disciplined. You would have thought that having four kids was a barrier for Elena. However, it was Elena's anchor that allowed her to pursue it. Of course, this may be a privileged position or it could be through sheer hard work and determination that one is able to do this. You can also have the benefit of starting earlier when things are less stable when you are younger because there's less to lose. My second biggest realization was that at the heart of it, whether you are recruiting as a founder or if it's your main job, the talent and labor industry is driven by human relationships at its core. Understanding the nature of this from a macro and micro perspective will allow you to be very successful in harnessing talent. The three M's, motivation, mindset, and mastery, is a great framework for looking at specific talent, which was very similar to Warren Buffett's method of the three I's, intelligence, integrity, and initiative. These are all tools that can help give some clarity when you are unsure. Lastly, I think the talent scarcity we are seeing in the market now from tech engineering, product sales, marketing, and finance is a huge indication of the demand out there to build our new future. It's a great time to be building or investing in the tech industry despite the challenges. See you guys back here for next week's episode. EOA out.